We're going to go ahead and get into our message tonight. <laughs> I said that for Brother Randy's benefit. <laughs> so that he was going, okay. These, these announcements are taking a long time. <laughs> uh, well, I enjoyed that song. I know that it is high. I sang the notes even though I can't hit them either. Uh, but I still sang it. So, um, well... Um, if you would take your Bible at this time and turn to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, and we're going we're gonna to look at a passage and an aspect of the crucifixion that doesn't really get mentioned a whole bunch, uh, but we're going to examine uh, this passage and this particular uh, part of the resurrection account that I think will be an encouragement, a blessing, and uh, hopefully a help as well. So uh, Luke chapter 23, we're going to pick it up in verse number 13, and we're going to read down through verse number 25. The Bible says, And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, as touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition was made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again unto them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. Verse 25, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Let's pray together and we'll get into our message tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. And again, thank you for uh, what you did for us on the cross of Calvary. And Lord, as we examine this passage of scripture and this part of the account, I pray that you would um, help us to look at uh, the crucifixion from a little bit different of an angle, different perspective tonight. And I pray that as a result, we would be even more grateful for what you have done for us. And uh, I pray that you'd work in our hearts now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight we are reminded of the night that Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room, and we're, in our minds, considering the events that followed. And one event was when Pilate was faced with the decision. The Bible records the obvious struggle that he had with knowing the truth that there was zero fault in the Lord Jesus, and of course, in that aspect, Pilate was correct. There was no fault in Jesus at all. 
Um, he was 100% innocent, 100% sinless. Well, he had the struggle with knowing the truth and appeasing the crowd. And uh, there is that struggle that exists in each of us, knowing the truth and wanting to please those around us as well. Well, in the end, he sadly chose to do what the masses wanted and released a known criminal and instead had Jesus crucified. Now, in recorded American history, I was doing a little research today and, and yesterday. In recorded American history, the presidents of the United States have pardoned several thousand people over the 245 plus years we have been a nation. In fact, according to Wikipedia, there have been 30,487 criminals who were granted clemency for their crimes and released from prison. Some notable uh, men who were pardoned, Gerald Ford, President Gerald Ford, during his presidency offered clemency to former President Richard Nixon. And uh, Richard Nixon was the only president to be pardoned for crimes. Uh, Gerald Ford also posthumously um, uh, humusly restored and um, granted clemency to Robert E. Lee um, for, uh, for the crimes that he was convicted of. And uh, Bill Clinton, um, yes, he offered clemency to uh, his half-brother, Roger Clinton Jr., how, how swell. And uh, Roger Clinton uh, served a year in federal prison for cocaine possession, but uh, it's good to know uh, I guess I was going to say high peop powerful people in high places or low people in low places or high places. I don't know. Uh, but Ra Bill Clinton uh, offered clemency to him. And then um, President uh, Donald Trump, uh, he uh, pardoned Susan B. Anthony. Uh, she was a longtime proponent, organizer for women's suffrage in the United States. She was convicted of voting in the 1872 election. And Donald Trump uh, pardoned her for that. Well, tonight in our text, uh, there, there are several others, and that's a great, uh, Wikipedia is a wealth of knowledge, kind of. <laughs> and I don't know how trustworthy all of it is, but uh, I'm not going to go and research all of these, all of these facts. I'm gonna, just going to say that they're from Wikipedia. Well, tonight in our text, we see another man who was also set free from crimes that he committed. The man's name was Barabbas. And tonight, as we examine this man, we're going to see that he was in many ways like you and I. As I was looking at this man and considering who he was and what he did, um, I see myself in Barabbas. And I actually see all of us in Barabbas. Um, one theologian, as I was studying for this, said that Barabbas's pardon was in reality a parable of our own redemption. So tonight, as we prepare to take the elements, reminding us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, I thought it would be appropriate for us to look at that sacrifice from the perspective of this man by the name of Barabbas. So tonight, first, let's look at his past. Let's look at his past. In verse number 18, um, the Bible says this, And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas. Okay, that's where we find out who this man was. But verse number 19, who for a certain sedition uh, made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. 
Uh, verse number 25 repeats that. He released unto him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison. Now, while the Bible doesn't give us all that much information about his childhood, um, in studying for this message, um, I realized that his name actually shed some light on how his parents could have been. Uh, I learned that his name, uh, Barabbas, means son of the father. And part of his name is Abbas, A-B-B-A-S. And that suggests, again, I can't uh, be certain that this was the case, but, but likely it was that uh, that part Abbas uh, suggests that his father was a rabbi. So if this was indeed the case, then Barabbas grew up in a good home with a dad who loved the Lord and endeavored to serve God. Somewhere along the line, Barabbas got off course. And once he went his own way, it led to some bad things. Uh, what, what did he become? What did he become? Well, first, he became a robber. Now, not in this passage, but in John's account of this particular part of uh, the crucifixion story, uh, John 18, verse 40, the Bible says this, And they cried all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. And then John says, now Barabbas was a robber. Okay? Um, so I don't know if, you know, he had the, the mask over his face and went into banks and robbed him like we would think of a, a robber. My, my brother is a banker. That's what he does. He works at a bank. He manages a bank. And, and he said it was uh, the weirdest thing once COVID hit and all the masks were, were required and and uh, people would walk into banks, and he said it's, it's the first time in history that, you know, people were allowed to walk into banks wearing masks over their face. Like, that was a normal thing. It w normally, whenever that happened, it was a no bueno situation. Um, but uh, anyway, he was a robber, and I don't know what he stole. I don't know what he uh, took, what kind of thievery he was involved in, but the Bible simply says he was a robber. And then going back here to Luke 23, we also see that he was not only a robber, but he was a rebel. In verse number 19, who for a certain sedition uh, made in the city. Sedition means insurrection. Um, I think in one of the other Gospels it talks about, uh, it refers to the insurrection that uh, Barabbas was a part of. And, and basically he fought against Roman oppression, likely. Um, Rome was over the Jews in that, in that day and age, and and, of course, many of the Jews wanted Jesus. When, when they heard that he was the king of the Jews, they thought, oh, cool, he's going to come and, and deliver us from the Roman oppression. Uh, no, Jesus came to uh, deliver them from a greater oppression than Rome, and that was their own sin. And uh, they failed to grasp that. Well, uh, Barabbas, somewhere along the line, got involved in some type of uh, attempt to overthrow uh, Rome and try to uh, bring freedom to the Jews. And so he uh, committed treason against Caesar and against Rome. And uh, that, of course, was a crime in those days. And uh, one commentator pointed out, and this is an interesting thought here, uh, that uh, those who accused Jesus of treason against Caesar were actually asking for the release of man who really indeed was guilty of that crime. Uh, Jesus did not uh, it, attempt to overthrow Caesar at all. And yet, when they were 
accusing Jesus of doing that, they said, release unto us Barabbas. Who was guilty of that? Um, interesting. And uh, the commentator went on to say that sin will make you do irrational things. And uh, that's what was happening there. But he was a rebel. He fought against Roman oppression. And uh, as a result, uh, he was uh, guilty. But then, of course, uh, most of us know this aspect. He was not only a robber, a rebel, but he was also a murderer. I'm sorry, the alliteration fails there. Uh, but in verse number 19, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Likely during this uproar, this insurrection, this sedition, that, uh, this rebellion that uh, Barabbas was part of, in that process, he uh, took a man's life, murdered somebody. Uh, Acts chapter number 3 and verse number 14, uh, the, uh, Luke records how he was the murderer there as well. As they were saying, uh, as Peter was saying, but you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you as he uh, was talking to those people. So he was a robber, a rebel, a murderer. He was guilty of committing great crime. And by the way, so are we. Romans chapter number three tells us, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. He goes on to say, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Verse 19 of that chapter says, Now we know that uh, what, so things, uh, what, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. We're all guilty. There's not a person in the room who can say, Well, I'm innocent from it all. And I realize I'm talking to people that I've preached to many, many times. You all know this. But just in case there's a little... Uh, you know, well, I haven't done that many bad things. Am I really that guilty before God? Well, James uh, addresses that in his epistle. And in James chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says this, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And I've shared this story before, but just in case you haven't heard in a while, I thought I would share it again. When I was in sixth grade, it was a Sunday afternoon, a hot Sunday afternoon in the high desert. And uh, my friends and I, uh, who lived on the same street as me, so some neighbors who also went to the school that I went to, uh, we decided to go down to the school on a Sunday. Now, why you'd want to go to school on Sunday, I don't know. But we thought, hey, it'd be fun to walk around and just kind of like, hey, there, you know, we can kind of do whatever we want. There's no teachers here. There's no... Uh, nobody watching us. There's no accountability. So let's go and just kind of hang out and, and have fun at the, on the playground. And so we did. Again, hot Sunday afternoon there in the high desert. And uh, I happened to be walking around in the grass area, and I found a, a ballpoint pen that had been broken. And so I, I, I picked it up, and, and, uh, and I noticed that I got some ink on my, on my finger because uh, the, the pen had been broken. And I, and I showed my friend, I said, hey, look, I got this pen. And he's like, let me see that. He takes that pen and he goes over to one of the big walls. It's a big, huge wall. 
um, with uh, stucco and all of that, and it's been painted, and it's all clean. He takes it, and he starts using that ink and writing on the wall, doing different designs. He's like, here, Eric, your turn. And so I was like, I don't really, okay. And I did a little line on the wall. I did. Well, we uh, kind of did a little bit more of that. I, didn't, I just did that one little line. He did all these different designs and all that. And then we threw the pen away, and then we went home and didn't think much about it. Until the next day, Monday, is school time. And we're all standing. Um, my class stood in line before we went into class, uh, right by that wall that we had written on. And I didn't even notice it. I didn't even look at it. I didn't, I kind of out of sight. I mean, I just didn't even remember what we did. And then we had our custodian, our school custodian, come over to where our line was standing. And his name was Tim, and he was a big guy, big guy. So you didn't really want to mess with Tim, you know. He was, he was the custodian, you know. And uh, anyway, well, he said, uh, "Hey, does anybody know who did this?" And he pointed over the wall, and everybody looked over at the wall, and we saw a bunch of lines. And I looked at it, and the I was like, "Actually, yeah, I do remember who did that. I do know who did that." And so I raised my hand and I said, "I do know. I know who did it." And he's like, "All right. Well, can you tell me who?" And I said, well, I can, better than that, I can take you to him. And he was still on the playground playing. And uh, we went, uh, and so I took him over, and I, I think his name was John, uh, my friend. And I said, Tim, John was the one who did that. And I can't believe John did this. But he said, and he did too, pointing to me. Can you believe my friend ratted me out like that? <laughs> some friend John was. Now, I, of course, was a perfect friend. I had what was coming to me, of course. So they took us both to the principal's office, and they asked, so what possessed you guys to do something like that? And uh, we're like, well, we were just playing around yesterday, and it was a hot day. We found this pen. We told them the story. I said, okay. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go and clean that wall until it's done. And we're going to give you a bucket, a sponge, and some water with soap in there, and you're going to spend the rest of this school day cleaning that. You're not going to get recess. People at recess are going to watch you do this. Hmm. Okay. And uh, by the way, we're probably going to notify your parents of what took place as well. Neat. That's exactly what I wanted to have happen. And so we were there, and, and I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to get this over with. And so I took the sponge, and I found the little line that I did, and I began to scrub that. And it took a while. I mean, it took a lot of elbow grease. And uh, I was scrubbing that for a good 10, 10 minutes to get that thing clean. I finished, and then I went to the office, and I said, I'm done. And they said, oh, good, well, let me go check it. And, and there were, they, they went and checked, and there were still a bunch of lines all over the thing. And they said, what do you mean you're done? And I said, well, I only did one little line. I'm done. I cleaned that off. Uh, John did the rest of them. He said, uh, 
Actually, you're going to stay and help him clean that whole thing for the rest of that day. Yeah, recess was not fun. Everybody walking up, looking at us, laughing at us, making fun of us. That was not a fun day. And then getting home and my parents going, hey, so did you write on a wall? I was like, oh, man, it's been a long day. They're like, it's about to get longer. (laughs) Bend over, buddy. (laughs) Look, the point was, I only did one little thing. But according to the school, I was guilty of all of it. And you say, well, look, I haven't done all the big bad things. We're all guilty before God. Uh, We have broken, you break one part of God's law, you've broken the whole law. And so we're all guilty. You say, well, look, I've never killed anyone. Well, Jesus said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You say, well, I've never cheated on my wife. I've never committed adultery. Well, remember what Jesus said. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So you say, well, I've never done those big bad things. Okay, well, have you ever hated somebody? Have we ever lusted after somebody? We're guilty of the law. And so while we may not have a past like Barabbas, all of us, because of our sin, have a past that uh, makes us guilty. We all have a past, and we are all guilty. So we see his past, but then notice, secondly, tonight, his prison. Verse number 19, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. You see, as a result of his past choices, Barabbas was sentenced to prison. We don't exactly know for how long, uh, probably for life, and probably sentenced to die by way of crucifixion. Now, I probably should have let the uh, pulpit committee know, and, and probably our church family as well, that uh, before you voted me in as your pastor, that uh, probably should have let you know that I've done some time in prison. Twice in my day. Once in the sixth grade trip to the local police station, where we were all put into a large cell with a cement floor, steel bars all around, and a drain in the middle so they could hose down the cell after people vomit all over themselves after being a drunk. I wonder if that's what happened today, uh, tonight. Anyway, uh, there was a little episode earlier in the service. Um, but uh, Faith, I love you. Well, I remember the police officer who put us in there and shutting the door, telling us that he never wanted to see us in that place again. Close that door, and there's a bunch of sixth graders in there. He slams the, you know, the the, the cell door shut and, and and locks it, and says, "I never want to see you here ever again." Kind of put the fear of God in us, you know. So that, and uh, and it, and it worked kind of because I never did go back to that prison. However, I did some more time in my life. See, as a teenager, I also did time on the rock, Alcatraz. You see, this is where the hardest criminals went to pay for their heinous crimes. And I went there, and I even spent time in solitary confinement. 
for about two minutes with the rest of the tour group uh, because they all put us in solitary confinement and telling us how uh, the inmates would try to keep their sanity while they were in there and they would, they would, they, they would take the buttons off of their shirt and throw them around the room and, and spend time trying to find that button to try to keep their, themselves from going crazy. And about two minutes was all I could handle. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. So I have done some time, uh, some hard time. I probably spent about five minutes in prison. Uh, but uh, I never want to go back. You might be saying, well, look, okay, I may be guilty of sin, Pastor, but I'm not in a prison cell. I'm here tonight. You're right. You see, here in the United States, it's not against the law to lust after a woman. It's not against the law to hate your brother. You won't be arrested for lying to your parents. You're not going to be thrown in jail for taking God's name in vain. You're not going to have to do hard time for gossiping or for robbing God of your tithes or for being a glutton or for coveting a certain car or house or for having pride. They're not going to throw the book at you for being jealous of someone Look, while you may not be in a physical prison cell, that does not mean you're not in some type of bondage. Um, Sin and the consequences of sin do bring a certain type of bondage. Proverbs 5 and verse number 22, the Bible says this, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. By the way, Proverbs chapter 5 is, the context there is uh, moral and sexual sin. And when we continue going down that path, then we end up being holden with the cords of our sins. We become in bondage to our own sin. When the commentator said, as virtue is its own reward, and it is. When you do right, doing right is its own reward. Just as virtue is its own reward, so sin is its own punishment. Sin will bind him as its prisoner and the cords, uh, the, what he's talking about here, the, the cords. He shall be holding with the cords of his sins. What's that referring to? Well, when someone is involved in sin, habitual sin, that addiction ends up becoming something that holds them in. The devil knows what he's doing. And uh, he does it well by uh, creating this have-to feeling. I have to do this. I can't not drink. I can't not smoke. I cannot look at pornography. I cannot do these things. I have to. Sin will bind him. It becomes an addiction. And the Bible says, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. This is the bondage. Again, you may not be in a physical prison cell with, you know, a prison guard coming by and you, you know, getting slop for dinner. I mean, you may be in living, living it up in luxury here in America. And I think all of us are. But it doesn't mean that you're not in some type of real bondage. There are some tremendous consequences that create this feeling of bondage as well, the guilt. The wondering how, the, knowing that the Lord knows, and how is he going to make this known? What's, what are going to be the ramifications of this and this guilt and this fear? 
A lot of sins do end up causing separation from loved ones and hurting others. And the ramifications of that, there are a lot of marriages that are broken because of sin. And they're estranged from their spouse that they stood in, at an altar and held their hands and, and looked into their eyes with a smile and with a gleam in their eye. And, and, and now they're separated. Now they're divorced because of sin. Uh, this is the cords that uh, Solomon was referring to. He shall be holden with the cords of his sins. There are dads who can't see their children. There are moms who can't see their children because of sin. And so these, this is the type of uh, prison that uh, sin creates. Certainly it creates the physical type of prison that we think of, but it also creates a tremendous bondage as well um, that's not usually thought of. Galatians 4.3 says, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So as sinners, we were in bondage. We see ourselves with a past similar to Barabbas. Okay, you may not have killed anybody. You may not have been in some type of uh, insurrection. But look, all of us have been, uh, all of us have uh, rebelled against God. All of us have uh, stolen from the Lord. What is due him? As a result, we find ourselves in a prison. Again, maybe not in a physical one, but in a spiritual one. But just, but real, just the same. And so we see ourselves in the, his past. We see ourselves in his prison. But then I want us to look thirdly, and this is my favorite thought of this whole story here, this whole uh, Barabbas' life, and that is his pardon. His pardon. Look in verse number 25. Verse 25, And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. See, Barabbas, was, was he guilty? Yes or no? He was absolutely guilty. Did Barabbas deserve to die? Yes, he did. But praise the Lord, Jesus took his place. Now, the truth of the matter is, I was guilty. I deserve the wrath of God because of my sin. But praise God, Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, took my place. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 5, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that was me. And in case you're wondering, yeah, that was you too. Christ died for the ungodly. He goes on to say, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were his enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And Brother Osteen uh, preached from this passage um, quite a bit on Sunday, and I won't take the time to go through that again. But uh, that does tell us that, look, Jesus took my place and Jesus took your place on the cross of Calvary. You know, the truth of the matter is it should have been me that was on that cross. I should have been there. Those nails, yeah, they were meant for me. 
Um, and yet, the Lord of glory, the Savior of the world, took my place. And all I can say is, what grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What mercy that he would be willing to take my place. It's not like I had anything to offer him. It's not like I'm some amazing individual that like, oh, we need to make sure Eric is saved. No, I'm just a sinner. I am ungodly. I was without strength. I was a sinner. I was his enemy. And yet, because of his amazing love, he took my place. It was like the innocent ram back in Genesis chapter 22 who was caught in the thicket, who was found there on the mountain as Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. You remember uh, Isaac was there and, and uh, he had the knife over his son and, and uh, he was about to plunge that knife into his son and to be obedient to God. And, when, and, and God said, Abraham, Abraham had to call his name twice. And when he got his attention, all of a sudden there was an innocent ram caught in the thicket. And that ram was taken and put in Isaac's place. That was Jesus. I think about the, uh, the fact that one day on another mountain that God would indeed sacrifice his only begotten son as Jesus took our place. I think about the countless innocent animals that were offered as a sacrifice throughout the history of Israel to cover their sin. All of them pointing to the fact that one day Jesus would be the ultimate substitute, the ultimate sacrifice for us. Jesus, the Lamb of God, would come to take away the sin of the world. I'm so glad that he did. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He hath made him to be sin for us. Wow. Now, regardless of whether or not Pilate should have released Barabbas that day, the truth remains Barabbas was still set free. And that day he walked away as a free man. I'll never forget when I was truly set free. I was 12 years old. I grew up in a Christian home, heard the gospel multiple times. But then on Christmas night in 1988, I was working on a church workbook, and I was involved in a Christian Boy Scout program that our church had called Royal Rangers. I was a buckaroo trying to become a pioneer. And in working through that booklet, there were a lot of things I had to do and complete and work on. And, and uh, that night, as I was working through that workbook, I came to a place that I had to write the date that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I remember staring at that for several minutes, going, wow. I've been in church all my life. I'm 12 years old. I've been there for a dozen years, and I, I honestly can't remember a time where I made that decision to place my faith in Christ. I remember thinking, boy, I can make that decision right now. But if I do, then people are going to come talk to me. I mean, they're going to think, wow, I thought you were already a Christian. You should have taken care of that a long time ago. Why did you wait so long, Eric? And those questions were, and those thoughts were in my mind at that point. I remember them very vividly. But then the Holy Spirit kind of tapped me on the shoulder 
and I didn't exactly feel that, but another thought came to me is like, you know what? Who cares if they talk to me? This is the most important decision of my life. I better make sure I know, and I'm not going to wait another day. Let's take care of this right here, right now. So I turned my chair around. I don't know why I did that, but I turned my chair, and I bowed my head, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner, and I realize that you died on the cross for me, and right now I receive you as my Savior. And that day, I walked away as a free man. I know I was only 12, but I still felt like a free man. Friend, have you been set free? I realize I'm talking to our church family tonight, but I was part of that church family for 12 years, and I had not made that decision. And so I don't think that, I don't want to assume that everybody in here tonight is saved. I want to uh, give you an opportunity and encourage you tonight to be set free. Has there been a time in your life when you repented of your sin and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you, that he lived a perfect and sinless life, that he died on the cross for you, that he took your place and rose again the third day? Has there been a time in your life where you've been set free from the bondage of your sin? If you can't think of a time, then boy, tonight's the night. Get that taken care of. And for those who have been set free, uh, let's be grateful for the freedom that God has granted us. I can't help but think that as Barabbas walked away from that going, wow, that did not go like I expected. I did not deserve to be set free. But somehow, that innocent man took my place. Thank you. I know he didn't really have anything to do with it, but he was thankful. I read about uh, a pastor by the name of A.J. Gordon, and when he was a pastor of a church in the Boston area, he, made a he met a young boy in front of the auditorium carrying a rusty cage in which several birds fluttered nervously. And Pastor Gordon stopped the boy and he said, Son, where did you get those birds? The boy replied, well, I trapped them out in the field. The pastor said, well, what are, what are you going to do with them? Well, he said, I, I'm going to play with them, and then I guess I'll just feed them to an old cat we have at home. Well, when the pastor offered to buy them, the lad, the lad exclaimed, Mister, you don't want them. They're just little old wild birds and, and can't sing very well. Gordon replied, well, I'll give you $2 for the cage and the birds. Okay, it's a deal, but you're making a bad bargain. The exchange was made, and the boy went away whistling, happy with his shiny coins. Gordon walked around to the back of the church property, opened the door of the small wire coop, and let the struggling creatures soar into the blue. The next Sunday, he took the empty cage into the pulpit and used it to illustrate his sermon about Christ's coming to seek and to save the lost by paying for them with his own precious blood. He said, that boy told me the birds were not songsters, the pastor said. But when I released them and they winged their way to heaven, it seemed to me that they were singing, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. See, you and I have been held captive to sin. We were in that prison of sin. 
But Christ has purchased our pardon and set us at liberty. When a person has this life-changing experience, he will also want to sing, Redeemed, Redeemed, Redeemed. Let's be thankful for the freedom that we have in Christ. Paul makes this statement in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In other words, don't go back to your prison. You've been set free from that bondage. Don't go back to that. It would have been ridiculous for Barabbas after being set free a couple of days later and go, you know what? I kind of like that prison. Let's go back there and, and uh, knock on the door of the prison and say, hey, you know, you might let me back in. I really kind of actually enjoyed it in here. That's ridiculous. No, that wouldn't have happened. You know, the nation of Israel, I was thinking about that. They wanted to go back to their bondage. How silly. They thought, oh, you just brought us out here to die, Moses. Thanks a lot. It was better for us to be in, e in, in Egypt because we had the leeks and the garlic and the onions and, and all of that. Not are totally forgetting about the bondage that they were under, that they had been set free from. Solomon said in Proverbs 26, verse 11, this verse was in my notes before the service. Uh, but it says, as a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Now, how disgusting is that word picture? How many of you have seen a dog do that? Go back to their vomit and lick it up, and it's like, please don't. And then they want to, like, a couple hours later, want to lick your face, and you're like, please don't. Just, just don't. Don't even own a dog, you know? That's my, that's my great idea, uh, but I get shot down every time. I get one support, one vote in the family. Seth is the only good voter in the family. Um, everybody else needs to change political parties. Um, but how, how disgusting is that? And yet every time, though, we run back to our folly, we run back to our sin, we run back to our critical spirit, our lust, our selfishness. To the Lord, it's just as disgusting and gross. It's like, why are you running back to that? I set you free from that garbage. Why are you going back to that? So can I encourage us tonight to live in the liberty where Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage? And then finally, let's share this message with those around us. Look, the freedom we have is not just for us. It's for every man and every woman. It's for every boy and every girl. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. It's for the rich, the poor, those who live on the east side of the railroad tracks, wherever they are. Are they over there? They're over there. Whenever I'm in a building, I get all mixed up on where, the rail, where things are. Um, those who live on the east side of the railroad tracks and those who live on the west side of the railroad tracks. They all need to hear the message that Jesus can set them free. Who's going to tell them? And when are they going to tell them? Now, of course, Easter Sunday is this week. This is a beautiful, wonderful opportunity to get the message out. And I would encourage us to do that. Because there's a whole community here that, while they may not be in a prison cell, they are under the bondage of sin. And they need to be set free. I can't set them free, but I can point them to the one who can. And so can you.
And let's do that today together as a church family this week. And uh, let's be thankful for the freedom we have in Christ. Let's not run back to that bondage. If there's one here today that has not yet been set free, tonight's the night to make sure that you've taken care of that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look at